Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A suspect has now been arrested for allegedly leaking classified documents online. And someone claiming to know the suspect gives a possible motive for the leak. Former President Trump back in New York today for a $250 million lawsuit filed by Attorney General Letitia James. A Trump attorney said the former president has nothing to conceal. Over 25 inches of rainfall in less than 24 hours. The Fort Lauderdale area in Florida recorded the most rain in its history, causing a severe flash flood. An appeals court is allowing abortion pills again, but not without restrictions. And the Department of Justice is already challenging those restrictions. And San Francisco police arrest a man suspected of killing tech executive Bob Lee. City officials confirmed today that the two men knew each other. The suspect has now been arrested for allegedly sharing classified military documents in an online chat group. And a member of that chat group shared what he believes was a possible motive behind the leak. NTD's Jason Perry gives us an update. Early on Thursday, President Biden was asked about the recent leak of highly classified military documents. Mr. President, could you give an update on that leak investigation, the leaked documents from DOD? I, I, I can't right now. There is a full-blown investigation going on, as you know, with the intelligence community and the Justice Department, and they're getting close. And U.S. officials were getting close. Attorney General Merrick Garland made the announcement of the suspect's arrest around 3 p.m. Eastern time. Today, the Justice Department arrested Jack Douglas Teixeira in connection with an investigation into alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. Teixeira is an employee of the United States Air Force National Guard. FBI agents took Teixeira into custody earlier this afternoon without incident. 21-year-old Teixeira is a member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. He will have an initial appearance at the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts. Teixeira allegedly posted top-secret classified information in a chat group of about 25 people on the social media platform Discord. I was first made aware of these documents, I want to say about six to eight months ago. The Washington Post interviewed a member of that chat group who said he spoke with Teixeira just a few days ago. Any claims that he is a Russian operative or pro-Russian is categorically false. He is not interested in helping any foreign agencies with their attack on the U.S. or other countries. He was a, he was a young, charismatic man who loved nature, God, who loved shooting guns and, and racing cars. And he explained what could be a possible motive behind the leak. He did see himself as the leader of this group, and he ultimately he was the leader of this group. And he wanted us all to be sort of super soldiers to some degree, informed, fit, with God, well-armed, stuff like that. Pentagon Press Secretary General Pat Ryder did not comment specifically on the ongoing investigation, but added this about the handling of classified information. You know, we have rules in place. Uh, each of us signs a non-disclosure agreement. Anybody that has a, uh, has a security clearance uh, and so uh, all indications are, again, this is a criminal act, a willful violation of those. Uh, and, and again, a re another reason why we're continuing to investigate and support DOJ's investigation. Garland said the investigation is ongoing and that the DOJ will share more information at the appropriate time. 
Jason Perry, NTD News. And now some news about former President Trump. He testified in New York this morning in Attorney General Letitia James's $250 million civil lawsuit. The case alleges fraud and Trump's real estate business practices. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Former President Donald Trump returns to New York for the second time in a week, this time visiting the office of Attorney General Letitia James, where he's being questioned under oath in a case that alleges he misled banks and others about the value of his assets. The specifics of today's deposition will not be immediately known, but Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, told CBS News that President Trump is not only willing, but also eager to testify before the attorney general today. She said Trump had nothing to conceal. Trump was also deposed in August before James filed the suit. At that time, he repeatedly invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination in response to hundreds of questions. The suit is a culmination of James' years-long investigation into the Trump Organization's business practices. Specifically, the 200-page filing details alleged efforts by Trump to inflate his personal net worth to attract favorable loan agreements. It cites 200 instances of fraud in over 10 years. The DA's 34-count indictment last week similarly charged Trump with fraudulent business practices. It alleges Trump wrote checks as legal expenses to disguise a hush money payment to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. The former president wrote on Truth Social last night that he had arrived in Manhattan for the deposition, which he called another unjust and ridiculous persecution of the 45th president of the United States. He said the case was very unfair and that James had sought out a Trump-hating judge to oversee the case. In other legal woes for Trump, the special counsel probe in the January 6th matter is now investigating the former president for wire fraud. The Washington Post reports that special counsel Jack Smith is probing whether Trump or the advisors violated the wire fraud law by using false claims about voter fraud to raise money. Under the law, it's illegal to make false representations over email to swindle people out of money. Fox's Tucker Carlson responded to this latest development. Of course, this is an effort to sideline the frontrunner in the Republican Party while they figure about, out what to do with Joe Biden. After the deposition in New York today, Trump is expected to return in the fall for the trial. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And over to Florida. A record amount of rainfall hit the Fort Lauderdale area overnight, sparking a flash flood emergency. Governor Ron DeSantis declared a state of emergency in Broward County. Schools are closed and rescue teams are working to help those trapped by the flood. We ran hundreds, hundreds of water rescues uh, in Broward County for people. Now, the majority of these people that were trapped and required rescue were actually in their vehicles. Uh, they misnavigated, misjudged uh, the uh, water height and water levels and became stranded in their vehicles. According to the National Weather Service, Fort Lauderdale tallied over 25 inches of rain in a 24-hour period, the rainiest day in its history. During the peak of Wednesday's deluge, a, month, a month's worth of rain fell in just one hour. The Weather Service is calling this a one-in-1,000-year event. A flood warning was in effect for portions of Broward County until 4 p.m. today, and a flood watch is in effect through this evening. South Florida could still get more rain. Forecasters say gusty winds, small hail, and even isolated tornadoes are possible. Broward County Public Schools canceled classes today, and the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport will be closed until 5 a.m. Friday.
And speaking of Florida, state lawmakers passed a six-week abortion ban today. The Florida House approved the bill largely along party lines, and the state Senate had passed it earlier this month. The bill is now heading to Governor Ron DeSantis' desk, and he has said that he would sign it into law. The bill bans abortions after six weeks into a pregnancy, but it leaves a 15-week exception for victims of rape, incest, or human trafficking. Florida law currently bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And more on abortion. An appeals court is granting people access to abortion pills again, but there are restrictions. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice is getting involved, asking for a Supreme Court ruling. Here's what the White House had to say about it today as Biden continues his visit in Ireland. We are going to continue uh, to fight in the courts. Uh, we believe that the, uh, the law is on our side and we will prevail. Last week, a federal court in Texas completely blocked access to the pills. Now the appeals court is allowing people to use them again. But the appeals court changed a few rules. The drug can't be sent through the mail, and the court rolled back how far into the pregnancy the pills can be taken, from 10 weeks down to 7 weeks. But the Department of Justice now wants to restore the 10-week limit and allow it to be sent through the mail again. Just today, the DOJ asked the U.S. Supreme Court to pause the new rule changes. And turning to the Senate, 89-year-old Senator Dianne Feinstein continues to work from home due to health-related issues. Senator Chuck Schumer has now agreed to temporarily replace Feinstein on a major Senate committee. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the latest. Senator Dianne Feinstein requested to be replaced on the Senate Judiciary Committee for now. On Thursday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer confirmed, saying he'll ask the Senate to replace her next week. Feinstein's request comes after two fellow Democrats called on her to resign. The 89-year-old is working from her San Francisco home due to health problems. Because of that, she missed 60 of the 82 Senate votes taken in 2023. This comes at a time when President Biden is trying to get new federal judges through a tightly controlled Senate. One of the House Democrats who called on her to resign said it's unacceptable to have Senator Feinstein miss vote after vote to confirm judges. On Wednesday, Representative Nancy Pelosi came to Feinstein's defense in this interview with ABC7. I don't know what political agendas are at work that are going after Senator Feinstein in that way. I've never seen them go after a man who was sick in the Senate in that way. Some say Pelosi could be hinting at Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, who's also been missing in action due to health-related issues. Arian Pastar, NTD News. New developments in the stabbing and killing of tech executive Bob Lee. San Francisco police say they have arrested a suspect. He also works in the tech industry and newly before the murder. San Francisco police announced they have arrested 38-year-old Nima Momeni of Emerville, the owner of a company called Expand IT. He allegedly stabbed and killed Cash App founder Bob Lee on April 4th. This morning, members of the San Francisco Police Department's Investigations Bureau and Tactical Unit served several search warrants and, arrest and an arrest warrant in San Francisco and Emeryville, California. Mr. Momini was taken into custody without incident in Emeryville, California. He was transported to the San Francisco County Jail and booked on one charge of murder. Police responded to a call about the stabbing at around 2.35 a.m. They found the 43-year-old suffering from life-threatening injuries in downtown San Francisco. 
He was transported to the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, but did not make it. The specific charges that we are filing today include murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187, as well as a special allegation also known as an enhancement, alleging that this murder was committed with a knife. According to police, Lee allegedly knew Momeni, so it was not a random attack. Mission Local reported that they were driving in the suspect's car and there was some kind of confrontation. Police recovered a knife nearby. Lee's brother, Tim, posted on Facebook saying he looks forward to working with the district attorney's office to prosecute the case. He said, hopefully now our family can begin the healing process. Momeni is scheduled to be arraigned at 1.30 p.m. on Friday at the Hall of Justice on no bail. Following the murder, among reports of other crimes, there have been growing debates over the city's safety. According to the city's crime dashboard, San Francisco has seen 13 homicides so far this year. And over at the border with Mexico, anticipation rising for bigger waves of illegal immigration as a pandemic policy which has helped to limit the influx ends next month. Here to shed light on this issue is a man with extensive experience at the border, a retired supervisory special agent with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Victor Avila. I spoke with him earlier today. Victor Avila, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you for having me back. Now, it's less than one month till Title 42 ends. There are concerns swirling about this. Do you have any concerns? And if so, what are they? What There's absolutely many, bring up? Mm. absolutely many, many concerns. Uh, as you know, next month, Title 42 uh, will be lifted. And um, th the major impact that we're going to see here are the number of uh, uh, immigrants waiting on the Mexican side of the border that are already making their way into the U.S., by the way. There's a lot of misinformation going on there. Uh, and you see them, as mostly Venezuelans in the El Paso area and the other side in Ciudad Juarez, rushing the border thinking that Title 42 is already gone, but it's not quite gone yet. So if you could imagine the uh, desperation that they feel, they don't want to wait on the Mexican side any longer. They're just waiting to come over. And uh, unfortunately, it'll be a mass, mass numbers, not just in that area, but along the whole border, uh, all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. The Biden administration created an app where migrants can schedule appointments, essentially, to enter and be assessed at the border. What do you think of this? You know, some people say that it's an open invitation to migrants. Others say that it's not processing them fast enough. How do you see it? Well, first of all, let me tell you about the CBP-1 app. It's, it's definitely against the law. Uh, as, a, as a federal agent myself, I have the authority to issue paroles uh, as a special agent. And what's happening right now at the Biden administration, you cannot do that, especially through an NGO a non-governmental organization giving and processing people on the Mexican side of the border uh, before they even come to the port of entry through the CBP-1 app. And let me tell you, this app is is a disaster. It's been, uh, it was launched, it ha it's failed. And one of the reasons why some of these, uh, most unlocked thousands of these individuals are not wanting to go through that process. Uh, there's a lot of hiccups with it. And so they just want to come through. And, and as we speak in El Paso, Texas, today and the last few days, they've abandoned CBP-1 and abandoned the app and gone back to going through the river and waiting and going up to the wall and waiting for Border Patrol to open that gate. And within the U.S., 
debate from the left and right on the border seems heavily dislocated. What's missing, do you think, in these discussions? What could help both sides see eye to eye? I thank you for that question because uh, that's what I want. I want to see a solution here. And one of the basic solutions is to follow law and order, follow our own laws, follow our own constitution. But somehow uh, the administration doesn't want to do that. We want other people to do that. And uh, we talk about the humanitarian, the compassion. Well, I'm a big believer that if we had a, board, a secure border, you would actually save lives. You would actually prevent a lot of these individuals from being placed in these horrific conditions of rape, uh, death, uh, extortion, uh, and all these uh, other things that they go through through their journey, not just in Mexico, but wherever they begin their journey. So if you would um, uh, think about that and say, listen, you send the message to the rest of the world saying, if you come to the United States, you will have to do it through a legal port of entry, through our legal system, and you would end up protecting and saving a lot of lives. And I think we could all gather around that and, and, and come to that agreement. All right, thank you so much. Victor Avila, retired supervisory special agent with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Violent protests and strikes continue in France over President Emmanuel Macron's pension plan. Clashes erupted in Paris on Thursday as supporters marched during the 12th day of nationwide strikes against President Emmanuel Macron's pension changes. Riot police fired tear gas during the clash. Protesters gathering in Paris say they hope the government can abandon the plan. We still hope that at some point, someone of high authority will decide to abandon this law, to sit around at a table and look at pension funding differently. Trade unions urged a show of force on the streets a day before France's Constitutional Council is expected to rule on the legality of the changes. If the Council approves the plan, the retirement age in France will go up from 62 to 64. The Macron government argued that this is needed in order to fund the country's pension system. During the protest on Thursday, union activists barged into the Paris headquarters of luxury goods company LVMH and lit fire to it. Striking workers also disrupted garbage collection in Paris and blocked river traffic on part of the Rhine River in eastern France. Reporting by Alison Lee, NTD News. And staying in France, let's look now at the effects that Macron's recent remarks on Taiwan are having on Europe and potentially on broader global dynamics. He was asked about the prospect of China invading Taiwan and replied that Europe must not become just America's followers. That comes after returning from a trip to China. Here to mull this over with me is Riley Walters, a senior fellow at the Global Taiwan Institute and the deputy director of the Hudson Institute Japan chair, who I spoke with earlier today. Riley Walters, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, Macron has made some controversial comments on Taiwan since his return from China, essentially saying that France should not get caught up in an escalation between the U.S. and China. And he says he's standing by his comments, even after facing global backlash. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, uh, it seems like his comments are pretty on par with, I think, things he's said in the past. Um, you know, he has mentioned, of course, that he doesn't want to necessarily align with the United States on this issue. But, you know, other French officials have come out sort of to uh, uh, readjust his comments to say that France is still very much aligned with the United States, and so is Europe. Um, I think the biggest problem, of course, with this entire trip is really the image of it, the imagery uh, <laughs> of him going to China, uh, saying these remarks, um, and then, of course, him leaving in China, launching these massive military drills around Taiwan. So really, the imagery around this has been, I think, much more upsetting than perhaps his actual statements. Interesting. So how do you think that Macron's moves will impact France's alliance with the U.S. and the relationship between Western allies as a whole? Well, I think we're seeing it from uh, U.S. officials already. Uh, I think various politicians have already come out and sort of, you know, questioned Macron's intentions, really his, his, um, his alignment, I guess you could call it, with either the European Union or the United States. But I think as a whole, uh, you know, many French officials and European officials are still pretty uh, secure in the relationship between, uh, you know, the transatlantic relationship between the U.S. and Europe. So uh, I think, you know, maybe this is more of a bump in the road than anything else. I don't think it necessarily changes anything. But again, you know, the imagery of this, I think, actually supports Beijing in a lot of ways, because it does purport a message that Beijing wants and would like to see, you know, this this uh, this tear between uh, America and Europe um, when it comes to issues in the Indo-Pacific. Now, former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has criticized Macron as well for his stance on Taiwan, saying that China can't be treated like just another global player because it's a totalitarian regime. She also said that Macron looking to Beijing for a solution to Ukraine is a sign of weakness. What's your response to her comments? Well, I, I think the UK government, uh, even past and, and current uh, governments, have really, uh, you know, articulated the problem with China very well. I think other governments around the world have also been very good at acknowledging the problem that China is becoming a real threat. And it's not just specific to the Indo-Pacific. It is becoming a, a global problem. It's, it's a problem for uh, uh, Asian countries as much as it is for European countries. And so uh, I think she's spot on on this. Uh, you know, it, a lot of people have noted that, you know, the problem with Russia and Russia's illegal invasion in, uh, in Ukraine and the implications this has for China and its threatening uh, to invade Taiwan, uh, these, are, these are global matters and these aren't things that can necessarily be separated between different regions of the world. It seems like Xi Jinping has had some big successes recently as well with Iran and Saudi Arabia, diplomatic ties with the Solomon Islands, all moves that say we're the world leaders now. And now this. What are your thoughts on China? You know, I would say you're right. You know, I think they uh, have been successful in, you know, maybe finding new partners or, or ways of building their partnerships with existing uh, uh, partners, but I would also argue that the United States and its allies and partners are actually uh, expediting their partnerships as well. I think we're seeing a lot of new strategic thinking out of Japan, out of Australia, out of various countries in Europe that, again, articulate that China is the, I think, the number one challenge for uh, for the 21st century. And so um, they are either on their own through their own autonomous uh, interests or with the United States uh, working out ways to deal with this challenge, the, the, the China challenge. And so uh, as much as, 
you know, China likes to bolster it. Maybe it is building new partners. Um, the West or whatever you want to call it, we have many more friends and partners than, than they do. And I believe that our interests are the right ones. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Riley Walters, a senior fellow at the Global Taiwan Institute and deputy director of the Hudson Institute, Japan Chair. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And now to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Women's Tennis Association, also known as the WTA, has decided to end their Pong Shuai-inspired boycott of China and will resume play there. WTA CEO Steve Simon told the AP that they never actually got what they sought, which was a full and transparent investigation into sexual assault claims made by doubles champion Pang Shuai toward a high-ranking government official. Those claims were made in a November 2021 social media post that was quickly taken down. The following month, Simon said the tour would suspend play in China and maybe the strongest sports body stand against the Communist Party in China. And in baseball news, Phillies pitcher Matt Strom questioned teams deciding to extend beer sales past the traditional seventh inning in response to the shorter games this season. Strom pointed out on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast that the original cutoff was to ensure fan safety going home and added, quote, if the game is going to finish quicker, would we not move the beer sales back to the sixth inning to give our fans time to sober up and drive home? Baseball doesn't regulate teams' alcohol rules, and four teams this year have already extended their alcohol cutoff to the eighth inning in response to games finishing an average of 30 minutes earlier. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, slow night in baseball. Just five games on, but that includes the pennant-winning Philadelphia Phillies, who are off to a disappointing 4-8 start without their injured two-time MVP Bryce Harper. They play at Cincinnati. And finally, for you hockey fans, busy night in the NHL. 30 of the 32 teams are in action, including the Boston Bruins, who play their final regular season game, having already set league records for wins and points. They play at the last place Montreal Canadiens. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.